You're listening to a podcast appearing on the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network. Who was the only president who once served as a leader of a labor union? Who was a lifeguard credited with saving over 70 struggling swimmers? He redefined the purpose of government, spurred economic growth by cutting taxes and government spending, and won the Cold War with the fall of communism? If you guessed Ronald Wilson Reagan, you were right. Our 40th president of the United States. And the focus of this episode of Presidential Bio on the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network. President Ronald Reagan. The early years. So Ronald Wilson Reagan was born February the 6th, 1911, in Tampico, Illinois, to John Edward Reagan and Nellie Wilson Reagan in their apartment on the second floor of a commercial building. The Reagans were a working class family, and Ronald only had one sibling, and it was an older brother named Neil. And when Ronald was born, his parents decided that the first son was baptized Roman Catholic. And the father, John, was Roman Catholic, but his wife, Nellie, was Protestant. So they decided the second child they would raise as a Protestant. And that's where Ronald came in. Ronald was the Protestant son in the family. And the Reagan family moved a lot through Ronald's childhood, mostly throughout Illinois. Reagan's father was a shoe salesman and sometimes had trouble holding down a job, unfortunately, because he had a drinking problem. And at one point, the Reagan family moved to Dixon, Illinois, and Reagan graduated from Dixon High School. And this is where he really set up some roots, building strong friendships and being widely respected within the community in Dixon. While he attends Dixon High School, the economy is starting to struggle. This is the mid-1920s. And he tries to help out the family by working a variety of odd jobs. And one of the jobs that he takes is working as a lifeguard during the summer months at Rock River near Dixon. And he works seven days a week. And this is where it comes into lore that he saved over 70 struggling swimmers in his time. Reagan in high school is also very active in a variety of organizations. He was captain of the swim team, the editor of the yearbook, and president of the student body. No surprise there. He's also a member of the football team, a member of the track team, and a member of the basketball cheerleading squad. So besides schooling in Dixon, they're also very active members of the Disciples of Christ Church. And the pastor there is a gentleman by the name of Reverend Ben Cleaver. And he likes Ronald, and he respects Ronald, and feels like Ronald has a great future ahead of him. So he encourages him to attend Eureka College, which is only about 90 miles away from home. It's only one slight problem. The Reagans don't have the money for him to go to college, and Reagan is not that keen on going to college. But the final nudge that really pushes him over to want to go to Eureka College is the fact that his girlfriend has now been accepted and is deciding to go there. So he goes with her. He drives her up that September 1928 to register for classes. He's walking around the campus, and he likes the campus, and he ends up walking into the office of the president. And he sits down with the president, introduces himself. And once again, this shows you how affable Ronald Reagan is. This president of this school, beginning of the school year, really admires Ronald Reagan that he took the initiative to come in and meet with him. They have a very good conversation, and... 
Reagan asks him, hey, I would love to go to school here, but I don't have the money. Is there any form of needy student scholarship? And the president thinks about it and talks about his athletic abilities and offers him an athletic scholarship to attend Eureka. And of course, Reagan is elated and he takes the offer to come to school there. And they even add to it an on-campus job for him to work at the dining hall so that not only could Reagan study at the school, but he could also eat while he's attending the school. One other note I want to make here is I mentioned that the Reagan family went to the Disciples of Christ Church. And the Disciples of Christ Church, they were very opposed to alcohol. And since Reagan saw what alcohol had done to his father and the way it affected everything in his life, he very much embraced that. And actually, some of the first speeches he ever gave in public were in favor of prohibition, thinking that the less alcohol in society, the better. So Ronald Reagan now is at college. He's at Eureka, and he has a dual major. And his dual major is in economics and sociology. His economics education will serve him well, as we all know, when he becomes president and what he does with the economy for the United States. But his study of human behavior through sociology also will serve him well in the way he builds relationships with people. While Reagan is at college, he embraces the experience, and it is evidenced in all of the different organizations and leadership roles he takes in his four years at Eureka. He played football and lettered three times. He swam for the swim team, but he also coached the last two years of the swim team when I was there. He ran track. He participated in drama, which we also know because of the number of movies that he made. He served in the student senate. He served as student body president and joined Tau Kappa Epsilon fraternity. He also led cheers for the basketball team just like he did in high school. Young adulthood. So Reagan wants to get involved in the entertainment industry. So following his graduation from college in 1932, he auditioned for some jobs at many different radio stations and he was hired by the University of Iowa to broadcast football games. So although he didn't make a lot of money at his job at the University of Iowa, other individuals recognized that he really had some talent here. And he was hired by another radio station in Davenport for a staff announcer's job. And he quickly found another job as the announcer for the Chicago Cubs at the station in Iowa. Now, this really took some talent to be an announcer for a baseball game in the 1930s because Reagan is not watching the game while he's calling it. He is receiving telegraph notices of what is going on in the game, and he has to improvise throughout the whole game. In 1937, while he's working for the Cubs, he goes down to spring training in California, and Reagan is offered a screen test with Warner Brothers Pictures, and it lands him a contract for seven years as an actor. But most of the movies he's doing are B-movies, where he would spend the rest of his early career. And some of the movies that he does include movies like Santa Fe Trail, King's Row, but then he gets a little more famous and some better roles, such as in the movie Newt Rockney All-American, where he is cast as George Gipp, and he implores Coach Rockney to win one for the Gipper. And later in life, he does another movie called The Hellcats of the Navy with his future wife, Nancy Reagan. It's during this time in Hollywood where he meets and marries leading lady Jane Wyman. And they have two children together, two daughters, and one of the daughters dies. And after she passes away, they decide that they should adopt a child. And they adopt Michael. And you may know Michael Reagan today. Michael is a political commentator and has his own radio program based out of California. But this is the one child that the Reagans adopt. 
1937 also, Reagan enlists in the Army Enlisted Reserve, where he is commissioned as a second lieutenant. He is anticipating, as many Americans are at this time, that we are probably going to be going to war at some point. His status as a star seems cemented until he is ordered to active duty in World War II in April of 1942. So Reagan puts his acting career on hold and goes through the process of becoming activated in the Army. But it is during his physical that the Army realizes that he has some very poor eyesight. And this excludes him from serving overseas. So during the war, he is assigned by the Army to the 1st Motion Picture Unit in Culver City, California, where he helps to film and produce over 400 training films for the Army Air Force. He is relieved of duty in December of 1945 when he returns to acting. And when he comes back to acting after the war, he gets more engaged with the Screen Actors Guild. He had served on the board of directors previously. But now, after the war, he rises to the office of president of SAG, the Screen Actors Guild, in 1947, and serves as president until 1952. During his term as the Guild president, he guides the Guild through several labor and management disputes, and he also testifies before the House Un-American Activities Committee. If you remember, back in the 50s, the McCarthy hearings, Senator McCarthy felt that there were communist infiltrators in Hollywood, and they were going to try and get to the bottom of this. Well, Reagan is actually in line with this. He is very anti-communist, and he provides the FBI with names of individuals who he believes were possible communists. It's also during this time with SAG that his marriage to Jane Wyman crumbles, and they divorce. So he really focuses on his position with SAG and what's going on in Hollywood, and he is working with other SAG members who are unjustly being accused of being a communist. And some of the records are rather messed up. And one day he gets a call from a woman whose name is Nancy Davis. She contacts him because her name is on one of these lists and she knows that there must be a mistake. He hesitates and says, look, I can get together with you for 15 minutes. We can talk about this and see what's going on. He does not realize, nor does she, that when they meet, the stars collide and he falls madly in love with her and that a year later they would be married and this would be the love of his life and they would be married for the rest of their lives and they would have two children, Patty and Ron, and she would stand by his side through how his run for governor and the presidency. Professional life. So now, before World War II, we have to realize that Reagan was a strong supporter of the Democrat Party. He was a big believer in Franklin Delano Roosevelt and the New Deal policies, which we talked about on an earlier episode. But he realizes that the Democrat Party is leaving him. So when Reagan begins his political career in the 1950s, he was the official spokesperson for the GE company. And he would prepare and give speeches on their behalf. And they even gave him his own radio show to talk about different issues. Now, he professed to them that he was a liberal Democrat, but he starts realizing that many of his stances and views were supportive of Republican ideals. He even goes as far as to tell people that he's a Democrat, but then endorses Dwight Eisenhower and Richard Nixon for president. So after he's giving some of these speeches and he starts realizing that the speeches he's giving, they're really nonpartisan, but they're often backing big business and they're conservative in nature. So Reagan's delivering these speeches for GE and the show they decide after several years that they're going to cancel. So they cancel it in 1962. But by 62, he had already recorded a spoken word album where he condemns socialized medicine, 
along with backing Republican candidates. And he has decided to make an official change from a liberal Democrat to a Republican. And the biggest change he can do here, the biggest statement he can make, is by coming out and endorsing Barry Goldwater for the United States presidency in 1964. He actually goes on TV to give a speech on Goldwater's behalf. During this speech, he raises over $1 million for the Goldwater campaign. This speech becomes known as the time for choosing. It's in this speech that Reagan spoke fervently about the belief in smaller government, condemning the use of coercion enforced by governments as a mean of controlling the public. And he states it by saying, so we have come to a time of choosing. And even though Goldwater did not win, many people liked what they saw in Reagan. He makes the official switch to the Republican Party because his views and ideals had shifted and more in line with the Republicans. But the people come back, the Democratic Party and the media come to him and they say, why have you left the Democratic Party? And he simply comes back and says to them, I didn't leave the Democratic Party. The Democratic Party left me. So now he's starting to get this notoriety and this recognition in the mid-60s. And a group of businessmen in California come up to him and say, we will back your run for governor because we need a big change here in California. And he jumps on it and he says, I will be more than happy to do this. He runs for governor in California in 1966. His campaign stance was making the welfare bums get back to work. His conservative ideals resonates with Californians, and he defeats the incumbent and well-respected Democrat, Edmund Pat Brown. That name may sound familiar. Brown, his son, Jerry Brown, is now the governor of California. So Ronald Reagan is sworn in as governor of California in January of 1967, and he serves two terms through 1975. As governor, he initiates budget cuts and other social reforms. And although spending increases from $4.6 billion to $10 billion annually over his tenure as governor, over 3,000 names are removed from the welfare rolls, which was a big focus of his candidacy. In 1968, while governor of California, he runs for president, but really doesn't have much of a shot with Richard Nixon leading the way for the Republicans. He then comes back and makes a serious run for president in 1976, where he loses to incumbent opponent Gerald Ford, then the sitting president of the United States. But surprisingly, at least to me, he only lost by 60 delegates in that race. We all know that Jimmy Carter then ends up beating Ford and wins in 1976. So that sets up Reagan for 1980. And Reagan comes and runs against eight other candidates for the Republican nomination. And this time he wins the nomination and wins rather easily. Then he turns his attention to the sitting president, Jimmy Carter, and simply says to the American people time and time again, are you better off now than you were four years ago? And the resounding answer is no. And Reagan wins the presidency, and he is the oldest president to ever be elected at the age of 69. Before we break, here's a little presidential trivia for you to think about. Do you know what candy was Ronald Reagan's favorite? We'll have the answer in just a minute when we come back to Presidential Bio on the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network. S.H.I.E.L.D. was introduced in 1965 in an edition of Strange Tales featuring Nick Fury. It was billed inside comic books as the greatest action thriller of all time. 
And it's safe to say that secret acronymed international intelligence collection endeavors would never be the same. Another, even greater, episodic series is ready to take the greatest action thriller of all time mantle. And we hope you'll be listening. Don't miss the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast, reviewing each and every episode of ABC's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. bullet point by bullet point. Check it all out right now at agentsofshieldpodcast.com. That's agentsofshieldpodcast.com. Thought about a career in voiceover? Need a great cost-effective on-hold message for your organization or business? Don't know where to start? Check out The Voice Farm, your one-stop shop for voiceover needs. Check it all out now by accessing The Voice Farm at voicefarmers.com and see what difference can be made with a company that is truly outside the box. From The Voice Box, voicefarmers.com. That's voicefarmers.com. Wouldn't it be cool if your advertising could last forever? It can, with perpetual advertising. Here's how it works. Magazine, radio, and television ads are efforts that people might see or hear once, and then they're lost forever. Perpetual advertising provides you with the chance for repeat exposure and replayability weeks, months, even years after it's originally inserted inside a podcast. So even if your advertising is included in a podcast years ago, those efforts are still impactful, providing you with true return on investment, real impact, thanks to perpetual advertising. Are you ready to change the way you and your company or organization advertises? Find out more and launch a unique perpetual advertising effort now by visiting twoguystalking.com forward slash sponsors. Conspiracies, by definition, require more than one person to be involved. A rally at the new Two Guys Talking podcast studio has finally made it happen. Two Guys Talking is proud to announce a new program on the Two Guys Talking podcast network. Conspiracy Agents, which will provide outstanding conspiracy and mystery-based content that will bring yet another flavor of podcast-based ice cream to the Two Guys Talking network. Check it all out now at conspiracyagents.com as another new year of captured perspective here at Two Guys Talking begins. That's conspiracyagents.com. Conspiracyagents.com. We are back on Presidential Bio, coming to you from the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network. I'm Phil Tracy. So we left you with a question. Do you know what candy was Ronald Reagan's favorite? Well, if you guess jelly beans, you're right on the mark. When he became president, the Jelly Bean Company came out with a new flavor to honor him. It was called Blueberry because Reagan loved jelly beans so much, but he only wanted to have red, white, and blue jelly beans. There were no blue jelly beans at the time. So they created the Blueberry so he was able to have a jar of red, white, and blue jelly beans sitting on his desk at all times. The Reagan Presidency. In his inaugural speech on January the 20th, 1981, Reagan rhetorically announced that government is not the solution to our problems. Government is the problem. He called for an era of national renewal and hoped that Americans would again be a beacon of hope for those who did not have freedom. With his inauguration also came the ending of a crisis in America. 
During the Carter administration, the U.S. Embassy in Iran was overrun by protesters and what they refer to as students protesting democracy. And Americans that worked in the embassy were then held hostage for over 444 days until Reagan is elected president and a plan is negotiated so that they would be released by the time that the new president is inaugurated. And that happens just about the same exact time as his inauguration. Reagan steps into the presidency and he knows that the biggest thing that he has to deal with is twofold. One, there is the domestic front where the economy is struggling. But two, he also realizes that America does not have the respect that it used to have around the world. So Reagan advances a number of conservative policies. First thing he does is he cuts taxes to stimulate the U.S. economy. And he also works to increase military spending at the same time. His economic plan ends up being called Reaganomics. And his plan to grow the military is announced to be peace through strength, which proves to be a vital change in the U.S. policy toward the military. So Reagan is inaugurated in January of 1981, and two months later, March 30th, 1981, as President Reagan is exiting the Washington Hilton Hotel with several of his advisors, shots ring out, and a quick-thinking Secret Service agent thrusts the president into his limousine. Once in the car, aides discover that he has been hit, and his would-be assassin, John Hinckley Jr., also shot three other people, but none of them fatally. At the hospital, doctors determined that the bullet had pierced one of the president's lungs and narrowly missed his heart. So Reagan, known for his good-natured humor, asked the doctor first if they were Republicans and later told his wife, honey, I forgot to duck. Within several weeks of the shooting, President Reagan was back at work. So by 1983, the nation's economy has begun to recover. And according to many economists, we enter a seven-year period of prosperity. But of course, you always have critics and... They charged that his policies had actually increased the deficit and hurt the middle class and the poor. But if you look at the two terms that he served, over those two terms, you had inflation that fell from 12.5% to 4.4%. You had unemployment that fell from 7.5% to 5.4%. You had the number of income tax brackets drop to just four, and each one of those levels dropped tremendously. So at the time, when he became president, the top tax bracket was 70%. He dropped it to 50, which of course has been dropped since. And even the lowest level, he dropped it from 14% to 11%. And I think on the consumer level, how did this really change lives for Americans besides cutting taxes? Consumer interest rates around mortgages, if you can believe this, fell from 20% to under 10%. Can you imagine today trying to get a mortgage where you're paying 20%, it's almost like you're going to the mob and asking them for a loan for your home. These were real quantifiable changes for the American people. When you look at foreign affairs during his presidency, the most pressing issue there was the Cold War. He came right out and he dubbed the Soviet Union the evil empire. And Reagan embarked on a massive buildup of U.S. troops and weapons. He implemented the Reagan Doctrine, which provided aid to anti-communist movements in Africa, Asia, and Latin America. In 1983, he announced this strategic defense initiative called SDI, a plan aiming to develop space-based weapons to protect Americans from attacks by Soviet nuclear missiles. Now, the interesting thing about SDI is 
Many people supported him, but of course, once again, he's going to have critics. And the critics dubbed SDI Star Wars, making it sound like there's no way somebody can do this. There's no way we're going to protect this country from outer space. In the Middle East, Reagan sends 800 U.S. Marines to Lebanon as part of a peacekeeping force in June of 1982. Nearly one year later, suicide bombers attack the Marine barracks in Beirut, and they kill 241 Americans. That same month, Reagan orders U.S. forces to invade the Caribbean island of Grenada after Marxist rebels overthrew the government. Now, I can speak from personal experience. I was in Grenada in 1984, and I talked to people there. And they said they were amazed the way the Americans came in and saved them. They felt that they are this small island nation and no one knew who they were. And they were very grateful to see us Americans on their island enjoying the beauty of Grenada. In addition, with problems in Lebanon and Grenada, Reagan also had to deal with a very contentious relationship with Muammar Gaddafi, who is the leader of Libya, because he knew these bombings these terrorist attacks were tied back to Libya. And several years later, there would be another terrorist bomb against military officials of the U.S. in Germany. And that's when Reagan took action and actually bombed Libya to send a message to Muammar Gaddafi. In November 1984, Reagan runs for re-election, and he is re-elected in a landslide. He has gotten the economy moving. He has gotten Americans feeling good about America. America is being well-respected on the international stage. It's almost like a revival of America. And he runs against the Democratic challenger, Walter Mondale. Walter Mondale was the vice president under Jimmy Carter. And Reagan carries 49 of the 50 states in the election and receives 525 of the 538 electoral votes, the largest number ever won by an American presidential candidate. Yet his second term was tarnished by the Iran-Contra affair. It was an arms-for-hostages deal with Iran to funnel money through anti-communist insurgencies in Central America. And though he initially denies knowing about it, Reagan later announces that it was a mistake, and it should have been something that should have been more open to Congress as they were putting this plan together. January 1986, the U.S. encounters another disaster. This time, it is with the space program. The space shuttle Challenger is on a mission. It has just launched from Kennedy Space Center, and there is a malfunction, and the shuttle explodes, and seven astronauts are killed. Reagan delivers a speech to the nation that night, and he states, the future doesn't belong to the faint-hearted. We will never forget them. They slipped the surly bonds of earth to touch the face of God. This impacts the American people and is definitely a crisis in America in which people can turn to each other and ask, where were you when the Challenger space shuttle exploded? During his second term, Reagan also forged a diplomatic relationship with reform-minded Mikhail Gorbachev, chairman of the Soviet Union. In 87, the Americans and the Soviets signed a historic agreement to eliminate intermediate-range nuclear missiles. That same year, Reagan spoke at Germany's Berlin Wall, a symbol of communism, and he famously challenged Gorbachev by saying, tear down this wall. More than two years later, Gorbachev allowed the people of Berlin to dismantle the wall, ending Soviet domination of East Germany. And after leaving the White House, Reagan returned to Germany in September of 1990 just weeks before the country was officially unified, and, with a hammer, took several swings at the Berlin Wall. In the election of 1988, 
Reagan did not want to seek a third term and wholeheartedly endorsed his vice president and friend, George Herbert Walker Bush, who would be the eventual winner of the election that November. Legacy. After leaving the White House in January 1989, Reagan and wife Nancy returned to their home in Los Angeles, California. In 1991, the Ronald W. Reagan Presidential Library and Center for Public Affairs opened in Simi Valley, California. In November 1994, Reagan revealed in a handwritten letter to the American people that he had a re- Take two. In November 1994, Reagan revealed in a handwritten letter to the American people that he had recently been diagnosed with Alzheimer's. Nearly a decade later, on June 5, 2004, he died at his Los Angeles home at the age of 93, making him the nation's longest living president at that time. A state funeral was held in Washington, D.C., and Reagan was later buried on the grounds of his presidential library in California. His wife, Nancy Reagan, died of heart failure in 2016 at the age of 94 and was also interred at the Reagan Library and Center for Public Affairs. Closing Remarks Ronald Reagan is a great example of someone who exemplified the American dream. He was born into a rather poor family He endured the Great Depression, but took advantage of the opportunities given to him, and he excelled. He took on leadership roles. He lived the dream of a Hollywood star, but settled into politics, which was ultimately his true calling. He brought America back to prosperity after difficult times in the 1960s and 70s. He made the military strong again and demanded respect for the United States around the world. Citizens rallied around the American flag, and Reagan made us the world leader again. Reagan proclaimed America a place where everyone can rise as high and as far as his ability will take him. And Reagan was living proof. Thank you for listening to Presidential Bio. I'm Phil Tracy on the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network.